0: hi everyone welcome to another episode of the teacher's point of view uh on this episode we've got sakib who's a brand new head teacher uh taking over um headship of a school in south london uh oasis academy um and he just what a year to take take over a school but he obviously walks us through the things that they've been doing to keep their children safe and um and how he's trying to move the school forward he shares his views and i tried to challenge him on a few things but i think he was quite diplomatic but let's uh hopefully you guys enjoy and uh yeah please please give us a like and a subscribe if you do and we'll see you in the next episode thanks Hi everyone, welcome to uh, another episode of The Teacher's Point of View. We've got Sakib Chowdhury here today, principal in South West London, and uh, he's going to obviously come and talk to us about kind of his journey and, and kind of his views on education and where education is at the moment. I mean, Sakib, thanks for joining us. Uh, could you kind of uh, introduce yourself and kind of uh, tell everyone who you are and your journey in, in education? Yeah. Well, um,
1: thanks for having me, TJ. Um, So in terms of who I am, um, Saqib Chowdhury, I am a principal of a secondary school in sixth form in in southwest London, kind of southeast London too. It's more or less exactly south, but there's no postcode for just south. Um, So so there you go, but that's the nature of living in Croydon. Um, So I've been teaching now for around 16, 17 years. Um, I, um, made a decision about five, six years ago to get into leadership in, in, teaching. Um, previous to that, I was a head of, head of computer science and then head of like computing and design faculty in an outstanding school. Um, and, um, yeah, so, so I decided to take the jump and I think what I found most difficult about moving, moving into leadership was the, the gulf between middle leadership and senior team. Um, It's a huge difference in terms of of how you operate, how you think, and how you work. And so in order to support me through that kind of like um, um, transition, if you like, um, I signed up with um, what was at the time Future Leaders, um, what is now the Ambition Institute, I think it's the third iteration of their name. Um, And Future Leaders, I joined in about 2015, 2014, something like that. And they were fantastic. They um, you know, they they really gave me the skills that I needed in order to move forwards. And since then I've had a number of senior team roles in a number of senior teams across across um, South London, um, in lots of different types of schools and gained gained a huge amount of experience and you know, knowledge of how schools operate. And um I was very fortunate to be offered the the headship at my current school, Oasis Academy Shirley Park, fantastic school in South London. Um and and yeah, so I've been I've been ahead there for for just over
0: a year now. Fantastic. Talk, talk about your first headship in, uh, in, in the pandemic. Jesus Christ, you're very brave. I mean, how has it been? I mean, how difficult has it been over this year for you?
1: Yeah, I think I would have been braver if I'd made the decision when I knew the pandemic was coming. Uh, I didn't really know it was going to hit me at the time. Um, yeah, it's it's been it's been um, I think it's been just a, just a tricky for anyone really. I mean, I think it didn't matter how experienced you were as a head teacher. Um, the pandemic was was a game changer for everyone. You know, um, um, you needed to take a, a new approach, a fresher approach, a a, um, a new mentality into your work. You know, um, who would have thought that I needed to become a certified NHS tester for for, for for a pandemic? Who who would have known that I needed to close down my school um, because of the infection rates? And so, you know, it's been it's been it's been a journey in a great unknown in many ways. Um, you know, it's been a huge learning curve for everyone. And, um, yeah, it's been challenging because it's been my first year of headship. Um, but to be honest with you, I think, um, it doesn't matter if you've been in this game 20 years, I think it would have been possibly even more challenging if I was, if I was, if I was set in my ways and used to my routines. And then all of a sudden, you know, it was, it was something completely different to what I'd done for the last decade. Um, so yeah, it has been a challenge, um, in many ways, but, um, it's been a challenge I think for
0: everyone. I mean, let's, let's talk about the kind of general demographics of Shirley Park the way to Shirley Park I mean like what, what kind of like population is around the area like what kind of students go to your school
1: um, so it's, um, I mean, it's a Croydon population, if you know Croydon at all, um, it's very much Croydon. We are a school for the local community and of the local community. Um, so I myself grew up in Croydon. I grew up about um, a mile and a half away from where the school is now. Um, and um, the demographics of the school are that they are the, 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 dram- the demographics that you would find of any kind of inner city London school. We've got a real mix of, of um, prior attainment. Um, We've got a real mix of socioeconomic, um, economic benchmarks um, in our students. We've got a higher than average degree of disadvantage amongst our pupils. We've got a higher than average degree of of, um, special educational learning needs. Um, you know, and so in 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 all of those ways, it's very much. Um, although we're technically classed as an outer London borough and an outer London school, I think um, you know you wouldn't find any differences between the challenges that we have in in comparison to an inner city school. Um, the the difficulty with Croydon is that the north of Croydon is very much a metropolitan area. It's very busy. It's um, very urban. Very built up. And then the south of Croydon is very different. You've got farms and fields, and you know it's a it's a totally different. Totally different demographic, and so um, I think you know Croydon in itself has challenges in in the north of Croydon in that way. Um, but you know, um, so that's the context of the school. But the school itself has been on a real journey. Um, Oasis Academy Shirley Park was built on the foundations of a failing school, um, which was called Ashburton High School in Croydon. Um, Ashburton High School was duly closed down, and. On its foundations they basically built a new school with new building a brand new school a brand new environment a brand new um senior team etc cetera, etc cetera. so that was 11 years ago and um you know we still teach that very same community um but we've had a real success in terms of turning around that's that that community's outlook and those communities ambitions and that community's um you know attainment and progress and so this year marks the first year that we've had a student going to going to oxford and cambridge um most of our students now go to um um, their first choice of university. Um, around 80% of our students go to their first choice university. Um, we've got a progress score that puts us on par with the top 17% of the country in terms of Key Stage 4 um, and top 1% of the country for Key Stage 5. So, you know, um, we're really proud of our successes given our context, but our context is never an excuse um, for, for for a lack of aspiration for our young people.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I just wanted to obviously. I knew that about the Oasis Shirley Park in terms of obviously the demographics. What I wanted to do was get the audience to understand exactly the kind of school you run. Now, obviously, a lot of kids from your your school they, they come from really like disadvantaged backgrounds in some in some respects. Don't then it's it's difficult for some of your kids, especially over the over the pandemic. I mean, what are the challenge? The main challenges that you found in as being a head teacher, in particular being a new head teacher, but then on top of that, the kind of support that you might have needed from the government. Um,
1: many really. Um, so, so yeah, absolutely. So we've got around a 40% pupil premium, um, percentage in our school, which means that there is um, some degree of social disadvantage, economic disadvantage in our community. We're very aware of that. Um, our, our pupils make, um, our disadvantaged pupils especially make progress um, way above national average um, for those for that group of students. And so, you know, we we serve our community and we serve it in 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 terms of um, fulfilling the needs of that community without lowering the bar for aspiration. So, you know, our our aims for for our students and my my ambitions for my community is really high. We want our students going to Oxford. we want our students going to Cambridge, we want our students doing those, doing those courses that are really going to prepare them for the future. Yeah. Um, So that's very much what we're about. In terms of relating that to the context of the pandemic, um, of course, we know that disadvantaged students don't learn as well at home than then, you know, um, more, uh, more economically you know, um, and stable backgrounds. We know that um, disadvantaged students have a higher d- tendency to um, drop out of education as a result of being, a, being out of education, formal education in this way um, for such a long time. Home learning doesn't work for them in the same way it works for middle, middle-class parents. Um, home learning um, has lots and lots of barriers to it. And although we try and remove those barriers as much as we can, and uh, my school in particular, we're really proud of our home learning offer. Um, you know, when, when when the lockdown happened um, last year, so when the first lockdown happened, um, we set up an on- online learning school for our entire school community within three weeks. So within three weeks, we had we had rethought everything, our curriculum, our, our systems, and we'd we'd we set up an online school for our students because we know we knew that, um, you know. Young people across the country are going to be sitting at home. They're going to be. They get all of those factors that play, that play in, even to adults. You know, I'm sure you speak to many many adults who, who who have really struggled in the pandemic with loneliness. You might be in a house full of people, but the fact that you've been there week on week, day after day, and that routine, um, you know, doesn't change, that can cause a huge amount of mental health problems, a huge amount of anxieties. And, you know, so so at the forefront of my mind, and I say it to my staff all the time, at the forefront of my mind is the well-being of our students. And um, one of the reasons why we provided that education for them so early is so that we could make sure that they've got something to do, you know, um, because um, like, like my dad used to say to me when I was a kid, the leaf that doesn't sway from the tree falls from the branch. Okay. Um, you know, you've got to move, you've got to keep active, you've got to keep doing things. And if you just stand still for too long in that moment, then you will, you will lose yourself a little bit. Yeah. And, um, so, so, in many ways. Um, I wanted my young people to be engaged. But I also wanted every single child in my school to make sure that they've had a phone call home. Um, if not, if not on a on, on a on a basis of every single week they're being called home, because 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 we just want to make sure they're okay. Then, within that lockdown, you know, several several phone calls for each one of my my, my students. And so, um, so the challenges were really making sure that our students are safe. Making sure that they're well, making sure that they're healthy, making sure that they're fed. So you know, I dropped food parcels home, like many head teachers have up and down the country. Um, we've made sure that we've we've um, mobilised as many people as we can in the school community. Um, you know, and um, and and in that way, everyone's played their part. You know, our TAs have been an absolute army in terms of delivering food and making sure our young people are cared for, especially our vulnerable provision on site. Our teachers have been fantastic in terms of the delivery of the curriculum and meeting the needs of that new environment. And, um, you know, our office team have been fantastic just because they've had to man the phones every single day. They've had to be in more than most other staff have needed to be in. So everyone's played their role in that pandemic. You know, everyone's playing their role currently in the pandemic. Um, And it's a huge stress and a strain in the system. Absolutely. Um, And so, so that's been my priority going forwards. But I don't think that priority would have changed if my school context had been any different to be honest with you. Absolutely, the, 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 for, for, for many of my students, the need is greater, um, but the provision that we are offering is the very best provision. And we would have offered that regardless of what kind of context we would have been in. You know, We would have provided as much online learning as we possibly can. We would have provided as, ma- as much contact home as we possibly can. We would have made sure that we're ensuring that our young people are fed and safe as much as we possibly can. And I think everyone's doing that up and down the country. You know, um, so a I'm really proud of how quickly we were able to mobilise as a school during the pandemic last year, and that really set up set us up really well for 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 this pandemic. You know, although the government guidelines have now very clearly stated what online learning should look like, our online learning program last year went above and beyond what the current requirements are already. You know, and that just gives you an idea of just how seriously we took the need of our young people and making sure we 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 meet what they want. You know, we 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 meet the needs of the, what the situation wants. If you like, um, and so yeah, so 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 they were the the huge challenges I had to think through in terms of where we we're at where we were at at the moment. Um, in terms of asking answering your question of like, what have I struggled with in terms of help from the government? Do you yeah. want to just? Um, yeah, I mean that's
0: a huge question. Do you want to just narrow that down for me a little bit? Sure. I mean, like ultimately, look, like w- one of the things in particular, especially recently, as head teachers, you've had to ask your your staff. To come into school without the sort of the right amount of preparation like, I and mean, then only to ask them to come in and for for obviously the government to do a u-turn last second i mean like you're asking these teachers to, to risk their lives to come in you know like you are like you can, you can get covered at any moment some of your teachers may be vulnerable some of your school staff may be vulnerable and and that's what and in some respects if something happens to them that's it that's on you in some respects you know and like i mean it's all moral obligation that you have in, in, to your kids and then also to your staff?
1: Yeah. And that's a really, that's a really good question. And, um, in many ways, um, especially, especially, especially during this time, I think you asked me at the start, like, you know, um, the first year of headship, how has it been? And I think, to be honest with you, I didn't realize how much of a humanitarian I was, if you like, um, until my first year of headship, you know, how, Every single teacher is a humanitarian, don't get me wrong, because we we, we work in a selfless kind of industry, right? We're, we're, we're there for, for, for our students and they are, they are the reason we get up and we do what we do every single day. Um, but for me, having the responsibility of a thousand students and having the responsibility of 130, 140 members of staff um, has really weighed heavy on my mind even before the pandemic, you know? Because teaching is a, is a tough game, don't get me wrong. Um, it's, it's, it's a demanding career of anyone. You know, and so um, I have always been acutely aware of the pressures that teachers are under up and down the country. I've always been acutely aware of the demands we make of our staff, whether that's the marking that they need to do or the amount of hours they need to be in on the school site. You know, I would turn up at my school at seven o'clock in the morning, TJ, and I wouldn't be the first car to park up, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm leaving school at 6 p.m., 7 p.m., and I won't be the last car leaving. You know, and that just is a reflection of just how hard our staff work. And that's true up and down the country. And so absolutely that has been at the forefront of my mind in terms of making sure that our young people are safe, but also that our school is safe. And um, in this time, what can you do above trying to mitigate the risk? And you know, what we've tried to ensure every single step of the way is that we consult our staff in what we do. And so you said quite a lot of things, I think that's the nature of where you ask questions. You pack loads in there, um, but um, there's there's um, there's there's a few things that I want to talk around. So, firstly, around mitigating risk, I guess, right? So, how do you make sure that your your site is safe, but also that your staff are reassured by the safety measures you've put in? It's really easy. It's not really easy, but the starting the starting of that is really easy. You have an inclusive conversation where everyone's input is meaningful. You know, and that's really important because everyone's roles are slightly different. A teacher will be thinking about their day-to-day. And the last time I was a classroom teacher was a long time ago. I had a lot more hair on my head, right? Um, And so what you need to make sure you're absolutely doing is taking everyone's context, not just assuming you know what their day-to-day duties look like, but taking their context into consideration. And so um, we we have a really broad, diverse representation on our health and safety committee. And my health and safety committee now is the centre of all of our work. So on there, I've got teachers, I've got heads of department, I've got IT staff, I've got premises staff, I've got admin staff. You know, as much of my school makeup as I can get, I've got on that health and safety committee. And we meet every single week to agree what the priorities are, to go through what the risk assessments are, to make sure that we know how we're mitigating risk together. Because that's the only way you're going to do this thing, is by doing it together. There's no other way of doing it. And so, so the first thing you do is you include everyone. Um, you talked about the clinically vulnerable people and, you know, there's a difference between being clinically vulnerable and clinically extremely vulnerable. And just, you know, as from, from my position, getting up to date in terms of what those terms mean, who those people are, where are they in my school? What job role do they carry out? But then again, going back to my basic point about being a humanitarian and including everybody in what you do, you have conversations with those people about their work. You know, you, 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 there's no way I can eradicate risk, TJ. There's no way at all that what I do will guarantee someone's safety. But we're not living in a time where anyone's guaranteed safety. You know, you can just go to the shops and you're not guaranteed your safety right? So that's the nature of the world that we live in right now. So what's my job? My job is to mitigate that risk, reduce it as much as humanly possible within my school environment, while sustaining something meaningful for my students and staff, and while sustaining something that's manageable for everyone.
0: Answer. Right. I mean, let me just ask you about that, though. So, I mean, obviously, especially in particular this this week, um, obviously, we, we've got the decision like at the beginning that the schools were going to go in. They, I mean, and there were so many teachers that I've spoken to this week that just didn't feel comfortable going in, regardless of like the fact that whether they were completely extremely vulnerable or not, they just didn't feel comfortable. Yeah. Because they live with vulnerable people, or for whatever reason, right? I mean, and and their head teachers were still expecting them to come in. Now, ultimately, the unions are saying, "Don't go in." The head teachers need them to come in because they're following government guidelines. I mean, what is a teacher meant to do in that situation?
1: Yeah, it's a really good question. I can only speak. I mean, I'm not a national representative, so I'm not going to speak on a national level either for our union bodies or for, for, for other people. You know, I can only speak in terms of what I did and what we did as, as an organisation. So, um, as you know, my school is part of the Oasis Academy Trust. Mm-hmm. And um, we, um, Oasis thought long and hard about the decisions that they were going to make. And, you know, all the head teachers got together on the weekend um, with the CEO. And our CEO is, um, is he's in many ways a humanitarian, too. And um, what we did, and I can understand the anxieties around people having to return on January the 4th and January the 5th on that Monday and Tuesday, having to, to return and then teach right? So um, what we did is we had inset days on that January the 4th, on that January the 5th, and um, what that allowed us to do was make sure that we had um, consulted staff in terms of risk, had taken every single step that we could in terms of um, adding extra layers of precaution, but it also gave time for the dust to settle in terms of government thinking, you know? And um, so we weren't asking, um, you know, children to come in and staff to teach from that Monday. We weren't asking CHIS students and staff to come in and teach from the Tuesday. And the decision on the Tuesday was made strictly from a health and safety perspective. So it gave principals and school teachers all time to get clarity around how do we keep ourselves safe? How do we double down on our efforts in what we've been doing in school? You know, and um, one thing that Oasis have always done is put, um, the, the you know, they've had a safety first kind of approach, if you like. So there is no um, mandated policy around masks in the classroom. We've had masks in the classroom since September. You know, um, there's there's lots of things that we have put in place um, like, you know, additional um, hand washing stations. And I'm not just talking about sanitizing your hands. We've actually bought these mobile sinks that we've got around the school where the students can wash their hands when they come in, wash their hands between break and lunch, um, wash their hands, sanitize between lessons, et cetera, et cetera. So all of that has happened. And so I guess, I guess to answer your question, I can't speak for those teachers and I can totally just um, empathize and uh, understand that situation, that difficult situation of having to go in on the first day. Um, I can speak for myself and what I did, and um, what we did was put in those two training days. Um, of course, there, this this argument around whether or not the, the schools were safe and um, the argument around whether or not um, teachers should have been asked to come in, you know, I don't know. Um, the ins and outs of that that the the health and safety law that was used in order to, to find the clause of whether or not staff could come in. And that's still, you know, if you look at the DFE website today, they've released some further guidance around whether or not the NEU and the other unions were correct in using that clause for whether or not staff could come in or not. I mean that's a That in itself is a whole different category altogether, isn't it? Um, And so I I, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole with you, TJ, because I don't have the answers to that, unfortunately. And the people who do should have had those answers a lot quicker is, is the only thing that I can say.
0: I agree I mean like obviously as a head teacher on, on the 31st of December you're getting an email saying that they've got to come in and you, you've got to like prepare to come in and then on the on the 4th of January you're getting a decision uh, actually no we've done a U-turn I mean like what, what's going through your mind I mean like you're, you're kind of switching back and forth in some respects and and the burden unfortunately falls in your, your shoulders as a head teacher and you've got to still get your staff motivated I mean like what do you need from the government what do you need them to do to support you and, and make it this more like like make this easier for you and to give you more support?
1: Yeah, so at the end of the last lockdown, TJ, um, the if you if you remember the um, what was said, the 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 key indicator at the end of the last lockdown in terms of how serious the pandemic was becoming and what measures would need to be put in place by central government was the was the R rate, was the reinfection rate. And we were told that as long as that R8 stays below one, then we should be okay to carry out our daily lives. Um, but, you know, that was, that was all the way back in, you know, September or something, July. I, can't, I don't know, it's all a blur, but, you know, that, that was when we were, we were given that advice. And I took that advice on board as you know, as you would do. Um, But since then, other metrics have come into play. And yeah, you know, there is a degree of bad luck in terms of this new COVID variant and how quickly it can spread. And the changes that it's had to, 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 the changes the government has had to make in in terms of dealing with this new outbreak. I can understand all of that. But what there isn't for me is, is a couple of things really. Um, clarity around what metrics are being used to make what decision, you know, um, when do we go from tier four to tier five? Um, what, at what point does somebody make that call? Um, how comes when we went into tier four, there were still areas of the country who were in tier two, but are now also in tier five. Um, you know, and so for me, there is a lot of confusion. Um, first and foremost you know i don't know where these decisions are being made from and if you don't know what decisions are based on right um then you're you then all you can do is you can just you can't see the input and the process behind those decisions you only see the outcome of those decisions you know no, and when those <laughs> well this is a problem right and when those when those outcomes when those outcomes are are decisions that are made 24 hours beforehand or 48 (laughs) hours beforehand, you know, they they affect you massively. Um, So, you know, for example, you know, during the Christmas holidays, and I know that I'm not alone on this, but I had my bags packed and we were all ready to go and see our family up north, right? So I was packed and ready because originally, um, you know, we had plans to go away abroad over the Christmas period. That wasn't happening. So then we were told that you can have these Christmas bubbles of two households getting together. So we thought, great, we're gonna go and see family, right? Yeah. We'll stay in a hotel, it's not great to stay overnight, and all of those things, and we're gonna go see our family, but keep ourselves as safe as possible. Um, so our bags were packed and we were ready. And then literally the announcement on, on the TV was, if you've packed your bags, you need to unpack your bags. And so that's what we had to go ahead and do, you know? Um, and then, as you say, the, the announcements around schools and the announcements around testing and the announcements around reopening and the announcements around staggering the return of students, et cetera, et cetera, I mean, all of that has just been so last minute. But not only has it been last minute, that I haven't been able to keep, keep up with these announcements because I've had no idea that they're coming, because I've got no idea what they're based on. Right? I don't know what metrics they are based on. And because I don't know what metrics they're based on, it means that I can't prepare, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so what I need is some clarity around why these decisions are being made so that I can almost see why those decisions are gonna happen in the next couple of days and I can prepare myself. Mm-hmm. But what there is at the moment is these last minute decisions. And don't get me wrong, you know, um, th- this is true of many people and many industries. And, you know, I feel so sorry for for our retail, for our hospitality industries, because I'm saying all of this and I'm saying, I'm complaining about all of these things, but I've still got a job.
0: Yeah, basically, not just about that, that. sorry to interrupt, but I understand what you're saying, but you're talking about the future of these kids. Like, it's Mm -hmm. it's not just about you having a job, but you're talking about like a thousand children's futures that we're, we're talking about here so it's like it, you need the time to prepare to make sure that you're going to do best for these kids because that's what it's about the, the future of our economy depends on these children you know like how are you meant to you do your job to do the to get the teachers yeah, that's a really good point. you know like it's not about you earning your salary it's yeah. about these kids have potentially having a salary in the future and being like there emotionally to be able to handle the situation
1: well, there's two things there, and I'll unpick them in a moment, and I'll tell you why. Why I said that specifically, um, nationally, we've seen over a forty percent increase in vulnerable students. Okay, what does that mean? That means a forty percent increase in lots for lots of different reasons. And I want to I want to be specific about why I spoke about having a job, because up and down the country, people are losing their jobs. Yeah. Right, up and down the country, and many of our families, especially the context that we're in, many of our families are becoming unemployed. Many of our students who weren't free school meals are becoming free school meals. And what's even worse is students who aren't statistically qualifying for free school meals right now, those households would still massively benefit from them because what they're doing is using their savings to get by in this current time. And so um, the reason I related to those industries in particular is because if someone's watching this and is working in the hospitality industry and is sitting at home and thinking about the difficulties that I'm going through, right? As I said to you before, um, my mindset is all about thinking about the, 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 the humanitarian aspect of this pandemic beyond anything else. And so for those people who have either been furloughed or been made redundant, such as many of our parents have, for them, there is this extra layer of stress. Yes, there's the stress of schooling, and I'll get back to the stress of schooling in a moment, but we have to understand as a society the damage that this is doing economically. So on that point, really, I understand the need for schools to remain open. You know, I understand the need for our young people to be educated so that they can have that bright future that we always tell them about, right? But I understand the need for our schools to main, be open so that we can we can allow society to function, yeah? And so, yeah, 100% you're right in terms of, like, what about the needs of the students? What about the needs of, of, of um, the, the students' learning? But beyond anything, like I said to you before, TJ, it's it's near on impossible for me to say that students learning at home are getting the best possible learning that they can possibly get you know and so it's not about setting up this online learning absolutely that's the best we can make of a bad situation but it's about getting our schools reopened yeah. and so how how can i how do i know what it is that needs to happen until my schools are reopened i don't know because previously
0: i know sorry i mean they, they need to give put you straight on the priority list in group 1 and give you the 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 jabs and the and the um the vaccines and get schools back open i mean what why is well, that- well there's
1: the, yeah there's there's the there's the million dollar thing really so like in terms in terms of in terms of vaccines right um in terms of teachers being on the vaccine list like why why was there not a consideration from the get go in terms of teachers being on the, on the vaccine list, I don't know, you know, and it's it's mind boggling why that's not the case, you know. And again, if I knew what the metrics were for these decisions, then I might be able to think, oh, okay, teachers as an industry have got this infection rate. Right? Sorry, I, my um, I screen went blank. Teachers, at an industry, have got I've got this infection rate. Um, the hospitality sector's got this infection rate, but the medical staff have got this infection rate. But I don't know. You know why were why were hospital staff and GP surgeries given the same degree of priority? Are they at the same degree of risk? Um, I don't know the answer to that. Um, you know um, why have some industries been chosen over others? I don't know the answer to that. So it comes back to my point, TJ, about knowing the metrics behind these decisions. Yeah, Um, you're 100% right. Uh, if, If we all get vaccinated during this lockdown as teachers, yeah, then we can reopen schools and we've got a very strong platform. Forget my risk assessment. We've also got that platform of the vaccines being there. You know, which is which is a much stronger platform to stand on than the testing strategy. Don't get me wrong; the testing strategy moves us forward in terms of health and safety, right? It does move us forward in terms of health and safety, but it's an extra complication, an extra layer for head teachers to unpick and do at the last minute. And um, you know, the vaccine is, if you like, the golden bullet in all of that, isn't it? Um, it would it would solve so many issues all at once. But I don't know what the complications are. Yeah. And this is my this is this is my biggest problem is like it doesn't matter what I read, it doesn't matter what I listen to or what I watch. I don't seem to get an understanding of the underlying measures that are being monitored day to day in order to make these decisions. Because if if the reinfection rate is the measurement that we are using, and if the projections of the reinfection rate are the measurements that we are using, then we should have made some decisions before Christmas, some tough decisions before Christmas, yeah. in order for us to not be
0: here now absolutely i could agree with you more i mean it's it's just so frustrating because even in the in the speech today i mean he, he speaks about the 80 i mean boris spoke about the 88% of um the deaths that have happened in the last year that's that those are in that first group but but the the whole virus has mutated <laughs> it's it's affected a completely different set of people now i mean it's it's not what, what they're saying i mean it's just it's completely bonkers because what what they're saying now is that the infection is in children i mean it's massively within children and that's why they've had to close the schools down so why are they basing off results of the previous mutation? You know, I mean, it's like it, we're just getting nowhere. I feel like every time there's a glimmer of hope, we're back to square one. And, and I feel like when we compare ourselves to different countries, like where, where education has always been like at the top priority. Here in the UK, I feel like we're in, we're in a constant like political football against the economy and education where like we're talking about the future of our, of future of our economy and the future of our kids here. I mean, like it's far more important. Like, just what we should have done was probably lock down the country for the first three, four months. Just let everything cool off, and like Australia did, like China did, like Singapore did, and just keep it on track. But they talk about this world class track, track and trace system. I mean, how how world class has it been for for you as a like as a head teacher in your school?
1: The the tracking traces the track and trace system isn't something that i've been directly involved i've got the app on my phone like i think everyone else has um and i've been i've been scanning and signing in to places as i go um but it's not something that's directly affected our our, our school what have we what we have had to do in school is um is a system around test and trace um and so for example where we've had a positive case in the school um whether that's a staff member or a student, we've had to trace all of their close contacts. So whoever they've been near for a certain degree of time, so like two metres, would they have been within two metres of someone for 15 minutes or they've been within one metre of someone for more than one minute. And we've traced that person's you know, um, day back or, or several days back um, that they could have been infectious according to Public Health England. And then we've identified all the people who might be close contacts and then we've sent those people home. Um, how effective that's been, um, I couldn't tell you because I can only go anecdotally by, by my school, you know, um, and you would have to look at the national picture, but clearly they were the measures we were doing the whole of last term. Um, but this term, we find ourselves in lockdown. So nationally, I guess they weren't, they weren't as impactful as they needed to be. I guess, um, anecdotally, my school remained open right until, um, you know, um, Christmas, we didn't need to close, um, Due, due to the infection rates, which I'm very pleased about. But that's just anecdotal evidence, you know? Um, what we need is a system that works. And you're right. Um, again, I um, you'd have to ask the politicians because I don't know the ins and outs of why it worked in Australia. Why has it worked in you know other built-up urban areas, but it hasn't worked for us in in london and it hasn't worked for us as a country in terms of uh, in terms of the uk um i don't know the answer to those questions unfortunately um and the, the problem is and this is this is the greatest difficulty is that um, there doesn't seem to have been any kind of strategy um there doesn't seem to have been any kind of system in place and um i just worry because you know um for, for something that's so destructive something that's caused so many job losses so many people to change their lives so many young people to to to, to have been increased in disadvantage um you know what is the strategy how are we going to come out of this and and where are we going i still don't see one um and so of course you know the vaccine like you said is the golden bullet in all of this it's like you know it, it it's got the potential to save us but again What is the difficulty with getting it rolled out in numbers that it needs to be? I don't know.
0: I mean, I do find that the government's plans are always so reactive. It's like, build the virus and then then work on trying to sort the places where we can distribute it. I mean, why shouldn't... Why, I mean, like, in my opinion, if I, if I was them, I mean, it just seems common sense to me, but while the virus is... The, the vaccine is, is developing and it's on its way, you know it's on its way, just get everything set up so you can roll it out. I mean, it just seems like they do one thing and then they do another thing and it's very reactive, you know? Like, it's just so frustrating to be like, to, to what? Um, but I mean like in terms of obviously the way that the government have handled education this year I mean do you feel like it has been handled well or do you think there needs to be a a shift in the way that education is run in the UK?
1: Oh do I think it's been handled well in terms of the pandemic um, you know um, there's 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 been a a lot of confusion and um, a lot of disorder and we've we've struggled through many things. Don't get me wrong, I'm delighted that I could open my school in September. And I know loads of work would have got in from central government in terms of how we could have opened our schools and reopened them in September fully for every single student, you know? Um, and so um I I don't I don't quite understand what those difficulties were. Like I said to you before, if I knew the numbers that we were relying on, then I'd know what difficulties we're in. But um to be honest with you, I don't know what numbers we're relying on because there are so many flying around you know? Um, What needs to change is that we need some clear strategy around this. Schools need a heads up, this is coming, you know? And a heads up isn't the day before the term ends. Um, A heads up isn't the day before or the day after students have started attending school, you know? Um, That's not a heads up. We We need some sort of timeline in which to work. So if something is being rolled out, I understand that there isn't enough time for a consultation period because we're in the middle of a pandemic. I understand that, and so what I'm not asking for is a lengthy consultation period. But what I am asking for is adequate notice that doesn't add to the stresses that we're already going through as a as as an industry, you know. And so what needs to change as a result of that would a new education secretary help? I don't know. Um, you know, um, I don't know because there's no there's no benchmark to how we handle these things but I know that things haven't been done right, you know? Um, Today, we've been told around the January exams being canceled. Um, I understand that the January exams needed to be canceled um, for very good reason, you know, for the safety and well-being of my staff and my students. Absolutely, I understand that, and it's the right decision. Um, But what about my exams that are gonna happen in February? Because I have got exams that are due to happen in February, and they're only, you know, three weeks away. What's going to happen with them? I still don't have any clarity on that. I would like clarity on that the sooner the better so I can plan for them and prepare for them. My worry is that I'll get clarity on them the day before the exams are meant to take place, like I did today. Um, so, so so, that's my biggest problem with all of this. You know, my biggest problem with all of this is the timelines that we're given to work in. They're, they're just not good enough. And there's no way, um, as a leader, I would expect myself to be giving these kinds of timelines for my own school staff to turn around in, you know? Um, So it's just not right that we have to work in these kinds of timelines. Um, And I would understand if there was no other choice today. I would understand if the nature of this problem meant that things needed to be done in 24 hours, but they don't because we have data that builds up over time. We have weeks and weeks of data, you know? And so the nature of the data that's available tells me that the timelines can be forecasted, right? And if you can forecast things, then you can plan and you can prepare. Yeah. Um, but the the, the the difficulty I have is that things things don't seem to be clear in terms of why decisions are being made. And that's, that's the biggest difficulty I have, is that when you don't have the clarity, then there's a huge problem, you know? Um, the fact that um, devices are being rolled out to students right now is fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. A great decision made by the DFE to mobilize these hundreds of thousands of devices. You know what would have been the, the, but hold on. you know what would have been the right decision though, TJ, is if those, d- those, those devices were mobilized three weeks ago and we were told about this, uh, this lockdown happening because of the trajectory that we were on in terms of infection rates. Yeah. Um, that would have been fantastic. Is that something that the education secretary is able to do? I don't know. That's my biggest problem right now is that I don't know what those numbers look like because I don't know what numbers they're relying on. And I come back to that point that if we knew what metrics we were using, we would know what decisions are being made.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, you see, you're you're being very nice. I mean, you're saying three weeks ago, I would have said back in September. I mean, why is it not been prepared? I mean, like they, they keep saying that. It, it, like I mean, last summer they said it was going to go away, and then they like they said there weren't going to be a second wave, and then boom, here we are, we're in the third wave almost. Um, I mean, look, I, look, and you. the data i mean they did have this information just before like just before christmas middle of december they said that the the the, um the infection had mutated so i mean ultimately they should have just been prepared and just been getting things ready i mean it's so reactive let me ask you a question if you made the same level of like not i don't want to say mess but if you kind of operate in the same way in terms of your school do you think you would still have a job no, like I said to you, TJ,
1: I don't operate, I cannot operate on those levels, you know. I cannot I cannot work in a way that doesn't give other people an opportunity to understand my decisions and to carry out their roles and to understand why I'm making these decisions and what I'm basing my decisions on. That's leadership, right? Um, leadership is about um, not just showing people the way, but taking people along with you. You know, and if you're not taking people along with you, then you're just going for a walk all by yourself. That's not really leadership. Um, and so, um, I agree. so yeah, no. First, first and foremost, I would not operate like this. Um, there would there would need to be some sort of um, um, you know informed methodology to to, to my decision making, which seems absent if I'm if I'm brutally honest. Um, and and secondly, if I was working like this then um, you know, um, I would be sowing the seeds of chaos and confusion in my organisation, um, which we are seeing in many ways in education nationally. But don't get me wrong, we're, we're seeing some good decisions in terms of the things that they're doing. Yeah, testing should be in schools so that we can guarantee that we're safe to open. Good decision. Um, the timing of that decision, not so great. It means there's an extra level of pressure around what we do, but we can do it. You know, because we can step up to the challenge because as an organization and as a as a staff body, we will do it and we'll step up to the plate in order to, to, to get things done. But there's an added layer of stress, stress there. There's an added layer of anxiety there. And that's when, you know, those stresses and those, those strains are when people start sending letters from unions or when people start looking for, um, you know, clauses in health and safety regulations right? this isn't because teachers don't want to work um this isn't because teachers don't want to be in school it's because of the chaos and confusion and the anxieties that are that, that are born as a result of that but you know as as schools we are doing all we can to minimize that confusion we are doing all we can to add add calm to the situation we're doing all we can to make sure that we are safe in our situation but you know we're, we're having to deal with something that is that is quite poor and poor for the reasons that i've said
0: yeah i mean it's it's, it's impossible your, your your job is absolutely impossible at the moment and i mean look, ultimately i don't think it's just your trust every single school every single teacher has had to adapt phenomenally in the last year and i mean absolute credit needs to go to the profession and it, in some respects it absolutely winds me up where we've seen the fireworks and the, the mention of nhs captain um tom moore and like i mean all these mentions but you know like teachers haven't kind of been given the appreciation they deserve for for the level of efforts that you've put in over the last year adapting coming like being innovative in the way that you're going to capture these uh, children's interest and like going out giving food and you've been a part of the community you know and 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 ultimately just uh, the recognition or the lack of recognition rather from the government in my opinion has just not been good enough and when i'm speaking to a head teachers, and i'm speaking to senior leaders across the country i mean it's almost like they, 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 the level of frustration i mean and i they, what they, they want to leave the, the profession because they just don't feel supported i mean if a good head teacher will come into a school and this is from my experience what a good head teacher will do is they'll go into a school they'll they'll put their trust in their staff they'll give them autonomy but like they'll they'll give like empower them you know like they, it'll come from them they'll feel like they're on a journey I mean it, it, like I have not heard one head teacher say that that's how they feel about the way that education is operating in the UK you know like I almost feel like maybe it's time where education is actually run by educators because they know what's in like what goes on in the school the frustration sometimes lies where you've got someone like Gavin Williamson that, albeit he went to a public school but he went there 30 years ago like he's never been on your side of the, the table in in terms of in the classroom you know and like he doesn't know what it takes so he doesn't know what it's like to have 30 primary school kids that are like 8 years old and you're trying to do social distancing so like how is he meant to give the correct advice it's like me I've, I've been to hospital it doesn't mean I, I know how to do heart surgery you know like I mean why not get it why not give it to the professionals the specialists that what they do and get them to collaborate whether it be head teachers from across the country that are complete diverse range of opinions and views and you collaborate or like you come to a union where there were ex-educators and they're collaborating with schools and head teachers and i I guarantee you the whole efficiency of education will will move forward Uh, like is that something you feel like is needed for education
1: um, so um, let me give you an example from like government decisions based around um, their, 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 their clinical medical decisions that they, they've been making currently. So we know who the UK chief scientific advisor is um, around, around um, medical decisions. You know, we've got Sir, Sir Patrick Valance and um, we've got um, Chris Whitty. Right. So we've got those two people who are advising the government around this pandemic in order to make the right decisions for um, for how we uh, mitigate, um, you know, the the spreading of the virus. Right. Um, And. Absolutely. When you're you're in a corner and you're fighting a battle, that's a medical battle beyond anything else, right? It's a biological battle beyond anything else. Um, You're going to ask the specialists in medicine and you're going to ask those people who know that industry inside out what the right decisions are, and and what those what those decisions should be, um, I don't think there is such a position as a chief education advisor to the to, to the government. Um, you know there are lots of different types of um, you know um, roles within within all the different ministries and um, you know um, and if you like sub organisations within within the structure of government. Um, but um, you know would would an education secretary who was um, an expert in education help in this current climate. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But a lot of those people are working in Ofcourt. A lot of those people are working in Ofsted. Um, And, you know, um, I just wonder how much those voices are being listened to and heard, Um, you know, and there are lots of different organizations and, and, um, you know, um, regulators out there who do have the voices of the schools um, as part of their their their, um, their decision making process, you know, um, how much are they being listened to? Again, I don't know, but um, like I said from the very start, um, when I when I spoke about the safety and the well being of my school and my staff and my students, um, I spoke about it being an inclusive conversation and um, having everyone involved in that decision making process. Um, has that happened at this level of government? Um, I don't think it has done you know if it has then i don't know about it um you know have have te- has the teaching profession really been consulted in terms of the decision making processes that have allowed the the teachers then to to have you know due notice of decisions that are to come i don't know
0: yeah I mean, uh, and for, for all the, all the everyone that's in the profession watching, I think it's very much time that we, we can understand. And I mean, I'm, look, not everyone's going to agree with this, but I think there are a lot of people that feel like, you know what, it's time that education comes back to the professionals. And it, I, I mean, like with NHS, they're giving like a 10-year budget 10, like, and then they kind of give it to the, the specialists and say, look, like, you've got 10 years to really like kind of improve NHS. I think that needs to happen with education. I mean, one of the beautiful things about the the vibe is that they have a Ministry of Education full of ex-educators, and they they don't go in in the form of judgment, but they go in and they go in in a supportive capacity as a supportive friend, and really make sure that they're listening to the schools and they are working on trying to bring in policies that are really going to implement a positive change in the schools. What we do in here, I, I have no idea. I mean, in this during this pandemic, since Gavin Williamson's come into power, I think it was October 2019, I've seen him twice or three, four times at the very most. You know, like. Where has he been and unfortunately in a time of need and time of panic this is we, we need our leaders to step up and unfortunately he hasn't done it in my opinion and it's and I genuinely for any educators that are watching here in the UK please let, let's stand up and say let's bring education back to the educators because if we're ever going to move education forward it needs to come back to the specialist in my opinion but um, look it, it, Sakiba I mean it was absolutely lovely having you man I mean it, you've obviously given us your views and I know it's a difficult time but hopefully people will listen and hopefully we can start making making a change Injured, but I mean I wish you all the, um, the best of luck to the rest of this year and um, I mean thanks for coming on mate yeah TJ thank you for having me on it's been a pleasure Yes. thanks everyone for watching thanks Saki for coming on and congratulations again on your uh, headship guys if you like the episode please do give us a like and a subscribe there's three episodes every week until the end of the academic year thanks